This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Mr. Wow. And I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday. And when we're not eating waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we officially become your financial fashionistas. Not because Joe and OG have any style, but because we're welcoming the founder of the Foxblood fashion line, designer Lindsay Hartz. Lindsay is going to talk us through the intersection of pursuing your passions, entrepreneurship, and money. But wait, there's more. One stock took a 40% nosedive after some bad news. What does this have to do with you? We'll discuss why you should care during our headline segment. And the moment you've all been waiting for, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Peter, who has some questions about forming business partnerships. And of course, your life won't be complete until you hear today's trivia. And now, two guys who've had the same wardrobe since 2003, and it wasn't even good back then, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Hey, someday Jordache jeans are coming back in style. That's why I keep wearing them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stacky Benjamin Show for a Wednesday. I am Joe Saul C. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me, dressed in his members-only jacket, high style. It's Mr. OG. Are these, these fashions are 2003. I'm, I'm talking like 1985, aren't I? <laughs> You're a little off. <laughs> so, swing it a miss. I have no idea what's going on in 2003 because my kids were seven or eight so i actually do know the answer to this because we were going through a whole box of pictures so it's beginning of school the kids have to do like all this stuff about family and everything and and my wife was going through all these pictures and she goes first of all do you remember when you used to get pictures and you'd get duplicates Yes. (laughs) she's like why the hell do we have two of all these (laughs) they were terrible just you in case know. one of them you want to give to grandma, you know, yeah, of the kids. You, get, you check the box that says, gosh, how many people don't even know what we're talking about? You said, you know, drop your film off at Meyer, <laughs> and you check the box that says duplicate, and then sometime later you go pick it up. And then and then if you, did you ever look in the thing of the prints and you th- go, oh, I know that guy. And you pull him out and thumb through his pictures real fast. <laughs> I never did that. You never did that? Okay. Maybe that was, maybe that was just somebody that else is, I knew. That is small town America. That is definitely. It is. It is. But anyways, the answer is pleated khakis. 
Oh, pleated. I forgot about pleated khakis. With cuffs. Pleated khakis <laughs> with the one-inch cuffs on the bottom. That that was the that was the good look back in 2003 for maybe, OG. Maybe we should talk to Lindsay Hartz about that. You think, how big will that eye roll be? When I'm like, hey, we uh, know fashion. Hey, Lindsay, uh, check this pretty, out. Pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. We got a great show today, guys. We got Lindsay Hartz coming on talking about something that's difficult to get into, which is the fashion industry. How do you break into the fashion industry? Uh, she also did some pivoting with her company at the start of COVID. We'll talk about that. And of course, uh, talk about entrepreneurship and uh, leading a team of people, all stuff that's great for your career, the sale on your ship, so to speak. But first, we've got some great headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from bankrate.com. And this is bad news for anybody who's in line to refinance their mortgage, written by Jeff Ostrowski. Mortgage refinancing will get more expensive with surprise agency fee. You know how you get those surprises sometimes? Like people surprise you with a birthday party. People surprise you maybe with a little dessert at the end of dinner. Maybe an it's like a surprise 12B1 in your mutual fund. <laughs> Imagine the outrage <laughs> if Vanguard was like, hey, from now on, we're going to have a surprise agency fee. And once again, there will be very little about this. I mean, there, there should, be some, should be some pretty big outcry here. There's going to be none. It's a huge number. In a surprise move, mortgage giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac said they'll begin imposing a new fee of 0.5%. Oh! Ah! <laughs> I don't Sorry, on all refinancings that close after September 1st for a borrower refinancing a $300,000 loan to take advantage of record low rates, that move alone is going to add $1,500 in new cost, OG. I was thinking we've got to have one that's like booing. We do. We don't have any booing ones. Well, but the, the, the fact that we have now two of these boards... You've got one and I've got one. I mean, we could just go uh-huh. all day long. A half a percent on a mortgage loan. That's a ton of cash. That's a ton of money. And with so many people refinancing right now with rates at all time lows, like what a great time for them to announce this. Just for them, they're, they're, I'm sure there's some bean counter going, we are missing out on a ton of money. There's so many people going in and out the door every day. Like, what's the first thing that they say when you talk to any mortgage lender? They're like, get in line, I'll get to you in a month. Right. Gosh almighty. So annoying. But you're right. It's not going to get a lot of play. So what do you do about this? Find a bank that's not a Fannie Freddie shill? I think that is a question for, it's got to be a question for your banker or for your refinance person. Am I going to have to pay this new $1,500 fee if I work with you? Greg McBride had an opinion. He's a CFA bank rates uh, chief financial analyst. He says, make no mistake, the consumer is going to end up paying this fee, diluting the benefit of refinancing and discouraging homeowners from doing so during the worst economic downturn in 90 years doesn't make sense. As if there aren't enough fees already in refinancing, as if the process doesn't contain enough unwelcome surprise for the borrower, now you have this. Greg doesn't seem happy about this. Greg's a little grumpy about this. Yeah, as he should be. Yeah, absolutely. Rightly so. But I know why they're doing it. They are trying to slow it down. They're trying to slow down the applications. They're trying to slow down the risk associated with the fact that people are refinancing and then you know subsequently defaulting. Although it doesn't change the default rate, I don't think, which is kind of the argument. Because if you're going to default on your mortgage, you're going to default whether it's at 6% or 2.5%. Maybe even less likely to default if the payment's lower would be arguably the case. Anyways. Let's eh. talk about what you can do about this. I think one thing you can do, we talked about asking the question around what are my fees that I'm going to pay? And some of those fees, OG, are negotiable. You know, there are some of the closing fees that your lender might might uh, give you a break on. When we went through this recently, there's on the uh, good faith estimate, you know, there's little spots where it says these fees are negotiable. These fees are, they don't say negotiable. They say shoppable. Yes. You can shop these. You can't shop these. Which I like. I like the fact that uh, it's spelled out that way. Yeah. But I wonder how many people actually do it. I didn't. Did you? I mean, the last time you got a mortgage, did you go, oh, I can shop for title insurance? Hold on. Let me do that. Or did you just go, okay, whatever, title insurance, whatever that is, and however much it is, I don't care. It's strange how analytical people will get about 
a mutual fund being 0.04 versus 0.03. And yet on the other side with a mortgage, I I've done the same thing gone. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. And it doesn't help by the way, this is what doesn't help. It doesn't help that my mortgage lender is a friend of mine. Right. Right. So I feel like if I say to Robert, Hey, by the way, I, I want to get rid of that one. What do you say? We get rid of that one. Well, you know what they say, Joe? Friends ask for discounts. Good friends pay full price. <laughs> I got to quit being so friendly. I've been meaning to talk to you about your financial planning fee. <laughs> exactly. It. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another good reason, though, to ask. And you know what? As you know, we're, we're about to uh, move into a uh, different house. I've been talking to Robert lately. I think I am going to ask him about that, about that fee. Just totally grind him down. Because he's he's going in going, oh, this one's an easy one. Yeah. Let's close this one up for, for the Salsi highs. This one's easy. And just be like, so agency fee, $125. I need you to walk me through that. <laughs> what is a flood certification form? Can I do that on my own? <laughs> it's 30 bucks, Joe. <laughs> I know, but hey, I'm in personal finance, man. I got to, you know, got to walk the talk. <laughs> Uh, and our second headline, which is from Business Insider, written by Kanishka Singh at Reuters, Kodak $765 million government loan to, to produce pharmaceuticals is on hold after lawmakers raised, quote, serious concerns. Eastman Kodak $765 million loan agreement with the U.S. government to produce pharmaceutical ingredients has been put on hold due to, quote, recent allegations of wrongdoing, the U.S. International Development Finance Court said earlier last week, senior Democratic lawmakers asked federal regulators to investigate securities transactions made by the company and its executives around the time it learned it could receive the government loan. Recent allegations of wrongdoing raised serious concerns, DFC said late on Friday in a tweet. We will not proceed any further unless these allegations are cleared, the DFC said. It was referring to a letter of interest it signed on July 28th with Kodak. The only thing that I, you know, okay, so we're seeing this with Kodak. This is very interesting. Kodak made cameras before OG. All of a sudden, when there is, when they're, they're into crypto or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The pivot, the pivot that was going to happen here at Kodak uh, that might be on hold is just amazing. You saw this with cannabis, right? Back when cannabis was hot, we've seen it with crypto. We've seen these companies that just all of a sudden go, oh, this is the new, new thing. Got to do that one. Do you remember that? I was trying to think about the name of that company. And we did a story about it where they just changed their name. They made like railroad ties or something, you know, like whatever physical product they made. And they changed it to like railroad ties, cannabis.com or something. <laughs> yes, I do and, remember that. It was like, phew, the stock just skyrocketed. Stock went through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the cannabis market now. And now oh, you'll have... like, what do I got to do to get me some of that, uh, that PPP money or that bailout money. They're like, sir, you need to be an airline. They're like, we've got airplanes. We're about to get them anyway. <laughs> yeah. we, we were again and get them. We were going to start an airline, but now the pandemic, we need help. Hey, get Betty the airplane salesman on the phone. Also, before we sign this deal, uh, we're going to give everybody some bonuses real quick. Post date those checks. Just, just till tomorrow. Don't cash it. <laughs> it's like, it's like when you used to go down to the, go down to the water department and you'd write the, you'd you'd sit <laughs> I don't know. This happened to us. I, I, we're just simple folks. I remember my mom going, would it be all right if I dated this for tomorrow? And the, you know, and the lady across the desk would be like, sure thing. Just, and they, you yeah. know, they'd hold on to it for a day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Post date the check. You think they're doing that with Kodak? Hey, can you just hold with on the, us for a couple days? Bonuses. That's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, no, the executive bonuses are hold, they're going to hold those. I think maybe indefinitely. But hey, uh, can you just hold ever this $765 million government loan so we can pivot to produce pharmaceuticals instead of be, being in the camera uh, business? Or what, whatever what, the, are they in the camera? Their last thing was. Yeah. 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 We've, our new uh, director of research and development, his name is uh, Bill, and he's really good at landscapes. Oh, sorry. He's good at vaccines. That's what, that's what we meant to say. <laughs> Uh, I think the point here is, and the reason I want to bring this up was that shares fell as much as 40% after the announcement. And this is an issue when you've got a company like Eastman Kodak that was already in, I guess we'll call it big trouble 
before this uh, before this pivot. When you go by some of these companies looking for a turnaround, I think it's more of a bet than an investment. Oh, it's a hundred percent. It's the same thing as the Hertz thing, or it's the same thing as by Macy's or, you know, any of these, any of these types of flyers that you think, ah, you know, this may yeah. be okay. Yeah. It's, it's the greater fool theory is what it is. It's the stuff of, I don't care what I pay for this. I just assume that there's someone dumber than me that's going to pay a higher price for it. And as long as I'm not the last one holding the bag, then it's okay. And there's no research going into any of these stock purchases. There's no technical analysis going in any of these stock purchases, none of the stuff that that we would consider reasonable investing strategy. It's just like, hey, it's momentum. You know, and that's a factor. It really is. Sure. So it's like, well, I bought it for two. It's now at three. It's going to four. You know, I can buy some more at four. Hopefully it goes to five. There's nothing to support any of that. There's no finances to support it. There's no successful products to support it. So it's uh it is 100% a bet. It's no different than going to the casino, which would be more fun, frankly. Well, and that's the thing is that stocks move for two reasons, right? They move because the company does something. You and I were talking earlier today about uh, Apple. Apple sold a ton of devices, and that may or may not be a reason why you want to buy Apple stock. The second reason that stocks move is because of news that comes out. And you can see how fickle news can be. News that this was happening can send a stock shooting straight up. News that it might not be what you thought it was can send the stock straight down. And this is a factor, I think, that's much more um, makes individual stock investing, again, much more dangerous than buying an ETF, is that I think to some degree, if you're playing the individual stock game, you kind of got to keep up with what the news is around a company. Well, and remember that by the time the news happens... It's too late. It's already... You know, you're not that fast. Yeah. You can't, your computer internet speed is not faster than that $100 billion hedge funds. Guess what? They also, they also might cheat. They also might go, ah, I'm going to need to know this about eight seconds before everybody else. If that's a trade that they're doing, they're ready to go. They've built a computer program to execute that immediately. They've got a direct line to the trading floor to do that. You've got to go through your broker who then sends it to somebody else who then sends it to the trading floor. You're not getting that price. And it's the same thing on the upside too. If you don't own it beforehand, you're not going to be able to capture it. Now you might get a little bit of it because the rest of the retail money is, is a little bit behind it, but there's nothing wrong with having some fun money. If you've got your financial plan good to go and you're on track for your goals and you've got a little bit extra, just talking to a client a couple of uh, weeks ago, wanted to invest in some fun money stuff. It's not a bad idea. You can do that if you can afford to have it go to zero, especially if it's something like this. Yeah. I think that is lesson number one right there, Audrey. I think you nailed it. And uh, lesson number two here, refinancing the mortgage, add in some more cost, or ask your refinance specialist if it's possible to refinance through a company that isn't a Freddie or Fannie company. Although on that note, you think everybody else is just going to match it? I mean, is this the new normal? Freddie or Fannie are going to throw this fee on there. I would think if I'm a banker and I am have some loans that don't have this fee, it's perfect for me to just match that fee. I don't know. Could you just say, our fee is only a quarter percent? Right, <laughs> About to give a call to our new friend, Lindsay Hartz. Lindsay is an entrepreneur. And what's fascinating about Lindsay is she is completely self-taught. She's somebody who did not study entrepreneurship in school. And she has met a lot of adversity during her career running her Foxblood fashion line. We're going to talk to her about breaking into the fashion business. By the way, if you don't know who Lindsay is... Lindsay has worked with a bunch of recording artists as she was breaking in. We're going to ask her about this. She's worked with Slash. She worked with Megadeth to make them look very Megadeth-y. And uh, is that a thing? And she also worked with Steel Panther. Her designs have graced the runways of the prestigious New York Fashion Week. 2017, she created Fox Blood. We'll talk to her about her fashion line here today. Let's say hello to 
Lindsay Hartz. I'm a dead shortwave. And my new friend, Lindsay Hartz, joins us. How are you? I'm great. Coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Rolling through a pandemic the best I know how. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you about the pandemic, Lindsay, because my understanding prepping for talking to you today is that you guys at Fox Blood, you made the decision to shut down production and start making masks. Tell me about that decision. Yeah, actually, a lot of designers did, especially the smaller guys. Uh, You know, COVID came out of nowhere and we were all prepped to release our spring collections and everybody collectively just stopped. We realized what the problem was with the nurses and the doctors and just wearing insane PPE and no one was coming to help. So all designers really did come together and stop their regular production and just start making masks and donating tons of them to the medical field. And uh, finally, everything got caught up. And now that round of masks that we made, we definitely gave a couple to a few customers, like some runoffs or something. And everybody's like, are you going to bring those back? And I'm like, ah, you know, it was a moment. We were trying to do the good, you know. Well, but I'm wondering with you, knowing a little bit about you, were your masks all black or have some badass design on them or something? They were definitely all black and the most comfortable. No, and like went with every outfit. Bring me behind that decision, though, because I can't imagine it's easy stopping production. I mean, did you have a team of people and you got together and you ran through the numbers? Tell me about making that painful decision or was nobody buying anything then anyway? Well, it's a really interesting thing. I, I love to to boast about millennials being so easy to change something. If something's not working or we need to repivot or rechange, like we're always like, okay, let's do it. So pandemic hit, the news hit about PPE and all that stuff. And I, I couldn't have the girls, my, my staff is all female and I couldn't have the girls in the office anymore either. I'm like, okay, everybody go from home. Even if production started to show up before, like we wouldn't even be able to ship it. So it was really like just a moment of we need to give back. So everybody go work from home. Everybody still has their job because I couldn't do this without you anyway. We're going to pivot production to mass to take care of the people. And then hopefully that'll come back to us. And it did. It did for sure. And that was, I would never not make that decision. Like, you know, it was like a couple grand out of pocket for the greater good that I felt really did help a lot of people. So it was like, not, not a bad decision and not like a hard decision by any means. It was more of a hard decision to like, come up with a design that was comfortable and aesthetic and affordable to make rather quickly. So that was like the more, the more tricky part. But I imagine that somebody like you, you get into that challenge. Heck yeah. Um, yeah. Especially I love to problem solve designers problem solve all day long, you know? Well, let's go back then and talk about your career because I'm fascinated. I'm sure our listeners are fascinated about how somebody becomes a fashion designer. So tell me, how did you get your beginning? Did you begin in Hollywood or in in LA or did you wind up there? And tell me about the beginning dominoes that created uh, you and your brand. Yeah, I actually am completely self-taught. I never went to college. And I remember being in high school and telling my family and none of them went to college that I wanted to be a fashion designer. And they're like, oh, you know, it's really competitive. I don't know if that's a good idea. Maybe you should like do something else. And I like was like, I kind of really want to do this. So I got gifted my first sewing machine at 16 that I still have in my closet and just started like making stuff. And at that time, like the internet was just starting, like live journal was a thing. I don't know if you remember that. And so it's like, you put your things out there that you were making and people would send you a check in the mail and you'd send them this like awful thing you made. And it was uh, still a weird community. And now we have this like insane internet presence and community that anyone can buy anything at any time, at any moment. So I think I've always had that drive to connect people that weren't necessarily next to me, you know, cause I knew I was doing something that wasn't average or normal. And I had to find my, my tribe more or less. Did you give yourself an amount of time that it was going to take? No. Did you say, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself five years. I'm going to give myself 10 years or something like that. Well, Foxblood uh, has been a brand now for four years and Right before I started Foxblood, everybody was looking at me like, I don't know how much longer you can do this. Like the timing is you've been really pushing this dream for a long time because it's hard being a fashion designer, especially hard. Even when you go to college, they don't necessarily teach you how to start your own brand. They teach you how to work for somebody else. So I get that a lot now with a lot of fashion students coming to me like, how do I do what you do? And I'm like, you just have to be creative and a little outside of the box and willing to really, really work. It's not easy what I do at all. And like, people always want to come in and dabble in the fashion business and like, talk to me about it and be like, Oh, I really want to make something. And I'm like, cool, come to me when you have 10 grand and then we can make something and go from there. But I was like, but if you don't have 10 grand cash liquid, like it's 
it's a really difficult situation. And oh. that's taken me 15, 20 years to figure out, you know? Yeah, but it's funny because of that, because of, of working through that, I would imagine you have all these business lessons already that most people don't learn in a business school. Exactly. So I always say that, like, I definitely wasted a lot of money, like figuring out how to get here. And that was like my college tuition. I wasted a ton of money and time. So I like to say, don't worry, I still paid my dues. Don't worry. Well, but I could also imagine, though, you were still being paid by people at the same time other people are taking out student loans. So there's a win. But barely. I kind of learned that. So I was born in New York and I was actually living in Ohio for a bit and doing fashion there. And then I did a New York Fashion Week show. And that's when I finally made the decision, like, I can't grow anymore here. I got to move to L.A. I want to work with bands. I want to work with musicians. And so then I, I got over here and really tried to crawl and figure out and make those mistakes that I didn't know and go from there. Did you have a job when you came out to uh, L.A.? The, the goal was to not have a job. The goal was the big Hollywood star eyed dream was to work really hard in my corner of my room and sew and make designs and like find people that want to buy them in person, like celebrities, rock stars or whatever. I kind of did that, but like no one really wanted to pay for stuff. Everybody kind of wants to be gifted things because whatever, you know? Then I realized like, wow, this sucks. I'm starving. So I was like, these people are wearing my designs, these celebrities and stuff. And their fans are like, hey, how can I get one? And I'm like, here's the actual price tag. And they're like, and then I was like, man, like, why is there nothing like an option? Like what? you know, their idol is wearing that's still like affordable at a price point. And I really started to like think about that and go from there. I want to ask you about those celebrities you've worked with because you're noted for dressing slash members of Megadeth. Tell me about working with them. How do you end up working with, uh, with somebody like slash? At that time I was working with a lot of people. I was working with like steel Panther and, and, uh, yeah, like Megadeth. And I made a bunch of friends in the heavy metal music business. And then before I knew it, I was just kind of getting introduced to all these people and saying like, Hey, I'm a stylist. If you need anything, like, let me know. And then every once in a while they would call on me or someone would drop my name somewhere. And, and it just happened. Like it just happened. And you just say, yes, I was like such a yes woman at that time. Like, yes, 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 yes. Is that the key, by the way, Lindsay, not to cut you up, but is that the key just saying yes to every opportunity that comes? I think in the beginning, because it also teaches you your limits where it teaches you where you should have said no, honestly, yeah. you know, and I don't think until I pushed myself that hard, would I know that otherwise, if I just started saying no, or I was like, oh, I can't do it. Or what if I fail? Like, so I fail and you never hear from them again, you know, and yeah. then you're on to the next. But if you don't push yourself to that yes person, nothing's going to happen. The people, well, whether it's Steel Panther, Megadeth, Slash, those guys are known, I mean, A, first for the way that they play music, but secondly, they're known for their look, right? For their style. How much of that style is Lindsay Hart's and how much of it is collaboration between them and you? So like Slash and Megadeth and all those people, like they kind of have their own set style. Sure. And then you have Steel Panther that is on a little bit of a bridge of costume. So that's where I really got to play. And that's where I really, they'd be like, ah, I just want like, a pink leather vest. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give you a pink leather vest, but we're also going to like completely personalize it for you in X, Y, and Z. We're like the other guys in metal, like are dope and beautiful and handsome and stuff like that. But like they still already have their own style and they're not very like, you know, they won't push the realm. So to say there must've been though, something you were able to do with slash where you put the Lindsay Hart's, the Fox blood uh, feel to his <laughs> wardrobe. One music video, it's called set the world on fire. And it's focused around this one girl and she is so, she's wearing, I think, everything from beginning to end. She changes probably like 10 times and it's definitely like all my style. And that's, that's pretty cool. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I want to talk about fashion just in general, because, you know, people are trying to look, you know, you can define good, however you want good, good to be. You, you, you want to look unique. You want to look like you, you want to bring it. But like you said, with Foxblood, you want to do that for less money, right? People don't want to pay the retail price tag. What are some keys that you can point to as a designer that kind of help bring that together? So maybe I can look good for less money. You know, I don't want to say like Foxblood is like a cheap brand. We price it to a consumer who cares about where your clothes are made, the quality of your clothes. And, you know, they want to also support a small business. You, you know, I could definitely have a lot of my designs made in China. I wouldn't know who's making them, what the fabric content is. They come back kind of shoddy and I could still sell them. And honestly, people would buy it. 
But it's like that little bit extra of like, we're an all female team. We're shipping out of LA. Our factories are in LA. We care about our people. We shut production. We're going to make masks. You know, we're activists. So I don't want to say that we're like a cheaper brand, but we're definitely a conscious brand that you, people support. You know, all the people who make your stuff. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. And even like we carry a couple other brands that aren't Foxblood brand, but again, my friends, like the designers and I know where they're going and things like that. So uh, it is very much fully curated by myself and the team of gals. Are there some styles though, that you think are timeless that you like in your line versus others that you find that maybe come and go more quickly? Like if there's stuff that you can see that's out now, that's just hot in the moment versus other things I could buy today or somebody could buy today. That's going to be here 10 years from now. Yeah. So there's a, a line called the Foxblood Signature, and it's basically the basics and the everyday pieces that'll probably be here to stay. And it's just like good, easy, with just like a little edge cuts of female fashion, which doesn't exist. Like you could go to Target or Amazon or whatever, but somebody who actually lives the lifestyle, like me and the team, we wear this every day. This is what we love and what we do. And I think that really comes through with our branding as well. It's something that we are actually living this lifestyle. We care, we wear the clothes. So that's how and creating this stuff, I can't imagine just, you know, I mean, you're thinking about stuff that looks good. You're thinking about how you market it. You're thinking about, like you said, you're not a cheap brand, but you're definitely are for people who want to look good and still don't want to pay a ton of money. Tell me about your team and yeah. how you come up with these decisions. Do you, do you work with mentors? Do you mentor people? Do you guys have a people around? Does Lindsay throw a dart? Like how, how, how the hell does that happen? Um, my main assistant, Amy answered an ad on Instagram, Facebook. Like where I was like, Hey, I really need an assistant. And I didn't want to hire someone I knew because you know, cause you really want someone to work for you. And, um, she became like my best friend and Amy's seen everything. And it's so wild how that worked out. I didn't anticipate having like such a best friend. And then the more people I met, the more talented women I met that were being underpaid and undervalued. And I'm like, no, we're going to build this super team. Like, come on over. I was like, you have value here, here, and here. And they're not appreciating it. I, you know, a lot of big businesses, will just take advantage of, I think, millennial women that are creative and know how to use social media really well and not pay them for that knowledge. So I think that's how I like built my team around me. That's awesome. And then when you set the prices on your stuff, how do you come up with that? You know, we think about uh, obviously the cost of the labor to sew it. We want to make sure the sewers are getting paid. When a lot of people talk to me about ethical fashion, they're like, we all need to have a discussion about how ethical fashion needs to be cheaper. And I'm like, no, you can't scream high quality fabrics and want to pay for that and then pay your factory worker less than minimum wage. Like, no, like they go hand in hand. And they're like, well, I feel like it should be a discussion. And I'm like, well, then that discussion should go back down to where's minimum wage at and how do we get it up higher? But anyway, that's like a whole other discussion. So when we think about price points, we think about like the costing of the fabric, which even goes to selecting of the costing of fabric before we even make the garment. Like, okay, this is our, our favorite fabric. Here's the cost. Maybe we can do a design that uses two yards of it or two yards or less. And then, so like, of course, the cost of the fabric, the cutting of the garment is a different cost. So yeah. it's like a cut service. And then the sewing service costs something else. And then of course we got you know, the models and the photographers, what happens to usually be all of us just in-house because we're already there. So we're like, who can wear this today? And because our staff is so diverse with body sizes, it's really great because we love being size inclusive and a lot of fashion isn't. So everything is from extra small to three or four X in women's, which is like very rare, which shouldn't be, but it's very rare. So well, it's nice to have all these different bodies represented. Yeah. And I love seeing that on your website, by the way. And also, by the way, following you and following the brand on Instagram is a ton of fun. We'll link to it on our show notes page at Stacking Benjamins. I want to ask you for somebody right now, hoping to break into your business, they want to do what you do. What pieces of advice would you have for somebody hoping to be a fashion designer? I always tell people to not follow the rules. Basically, I didn't follow the rules at all. And yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, but I own up to them and it worked out. So at the end of the day, those mistakes taught me discipline. They taught me budgeting. They taught me like so many things. And I think not to be afraid to make your own path entirely and learn is so valuable. And a lot of people are afraid and I get that, but you just got to push yourself to do it. And then like the second 
advice I give people is they, they launch their brand. It's up there. It's beautiful. It's perfect. Hire a photo editor. A photo editor is going to take your brand from here to here with like very little effort. It's just, it's that storytelling that will become consistent that your customers will appreciate and follow. It's funny how consistent that advice is. We had somebody on about real estate last week and it sounds like just a good photographer changes everything, Lindsay. Yeah. It's the way we visually communicate now. Like, yeah, everyone talks about Instagram or whatever, but visually everyone wants to be told a story that way. I want to be like, people love to read news articles, but they don't really. They want that visual communication that hits them with emotion quickly. What's the story you're telling with the Foxblood brand? We say it's for babes that wear black. And uh, the story that I like to tell is that you can be stylish and comfortable and not basic, but still basic. You know, at the same day, like we look pretty extreme, but at the same time, our clothes are pretty muted, just really nice cuts. So we kind of let um, us show as it is. I'm not saying we wouldn't wear a gown out or like club wear or whatever, but like just our day-to-day life where we can put on these clothes, be comfortable and still fashionable is very much what I'm about with Foxblood. We will link to Foxblood and to Lindsay and to her uh, social media accounts on our on our website at stackybenjamins.com. Lindsay Hartz, thanks for hanging out with us and talking fashion for a few minutes. So glad you had a woman in business and fashion on. I'm glad I got to be here. So I, I love talking to other women entrepreneurs. So if anybody's listening and wants to talk, hit me up. Hey, trivia fans. It's your favorite podcast personality, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that Mother Teresa was born on this date in 1910? As I've been looking more into Mother Teresa, I realize that we have a lot more in common than I thought. In fact, because she and I are both givers, I mean, you've known that for a long time, I wouldn't blame you if you started referring to me as Father Doug. Huh, that's got a pretty good ring to it, wouldn't you say? Well, before I enlighten you on all of the similarities between Mother Teresa and yours truly, let's get to today's trivia. Question is... The 19th Amendment went into effect on this date in 1920. It's a pretty big deal. So question is, what is the 19th Amendment? I'll be back faster than you can think back to 10th grade U.S. history. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, working on a podcast at home in Vermont, you're home for a month. That's wildly specific, isn't it? But just saying, whatever you're doing, you want to be listening to what you're listening to, not what your roommate, your neighbor, significant other, your kids are listening to. Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, especially if you've got all this online learning going on at the same time that you're trying to watch Netflix, your spouse is trying to do a Zoom call. Everybody is online and listening to things at the same time. But before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair of wireless earbuds, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. You already know Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And that they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, the ones I'm wearing right now, are their best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. In fact, their earbuds are so comfortable, it's perfect for conference calls or binging SB episodes, whatever it is that you like to do. It's also the charging case, and I like the fit. These things fit so comfortably and they don't dangle down my ears with these big, huge stems that, uh, I don't know, distracting or awkward during video calls. The company, you may already know, found co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Melissa Etheridge, and OG are obsessed with their Raycons. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash SB. That's right, stackers. 15% off when you use buyraycon.com slash SB for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds, buyraycon.com slash SB. Hey, stackers, it's your kind and loving trivia guide, neighbor Doug. And the similarities between Mother Teresa and myself are they're, they're striking. She fed the sick and I warm up soup for Joe's mom every time she gets a cold. Uh, she she cared for the poor. Uh, 
Mother Teresa, not Joe's mom. And and I give rides to hitchhikers all the time in the back of the old El Camino. Uh, Mother Teresa won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, and you know, I, I won a major award. The, uh, the the most likely to become famous prize in middle school. Are you seeing it yet? It's crazy, right? Once I point all of this out to Joe's mom, uh, maybe the guys will start to give me just a little more of the credit I deserve for being the saint that I am. Now that that's settled, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was this, since the 19th Amendment went into effect on today's date in history, what is the 19th Amendment? For those of you non-constitutional nerds, the 19th Amendment guarantees the right to vote regardless of sex. In short, it gave women the right to vote. Of course, the right to vote didn't solve the pay gap or lots of other gender issues, but it was a start. Speaking of politics, I'm the guy who can solve your issues. Now, don't forget to give old Father Doug your vote in November 2020. Hashtag Doug 2020. Gotta go. See ya. I love discussions like that, OG. Talking about stuff, talking about money in a different way. I mean, somebody that just has a lot of hustle. I mean, you can you can just tell. Lindsay, there is... Go get it. Yeah. And when people, people always get, um, fooled and I feel like a lot of people who are just interested in more money, bigger, faster, get fooled into thinking there is a free lunch or they hear about somebody who's marketing this brilliant thing. You know, there was, she, she is an overnight success 10 years in the middle. Right. That's what I was going to say. You know, what's brilliant about Lindsay is she worked her ass off. Like yeah. She worked hard to get where she is. And uh, I think that's a, that's a great lesson. Don't be outworked. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put their heads together and they thought there's got to be a better way. And instead of long forms sitting across from your agent, refilling out the same stuff that nobody's going to look at. They shortened the application. They put it all online. They made it so you can get an instant coverage decision so that you can spend time with your loved ones doing other things and get the life insurance that you need. And all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual. So you'll have life insurance through a company that's more than 160 years old. Head to our link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life to check it out. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to Peter. Say hi, Peter. Hey, guys. Want to put first things first. Little Dougie slid into my DMs last week and started asking for some fan mail. Wanted to let him know it's on the way, but it may take a while, as I've had to train my carrier pigeons one-on-one due to all these new social distancing requirements. Speaking of distance, I'm happy to report I finally got my telephonic smackdown scheduled with OG in like two weeks. Took a while, but uh, whoever would have thought I'd find an email from that guy in my spam folder. Go figure. Now on to the boring stuff. What do you guys think about partnerships? I'm a real estate investor, have a few properties of my own already, cash flowing pretty well. Got a buddy who's a GC kind of doing the same, but has more direct construction experience. He's spendy. I'm conservative. Uh, he's a little bit country. I'm rock and roll. But we're both successful on our own rights. Not worried about the details of long versus short-term rentals, the eviction moratoriums, or the future. We're both experienced and have some cash reserves, and we're prepped for some difficulties. But I've always heard that partnerships are rough, and that's where I would worry, as we are good friends. So here's my questions. OG, as a landlord yourself, would you ever consider taking on a partner in your apartments, and what drives that decision? Joe, how did you and Bobby set up MWF to be win-win with any autonomy for the two of you? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. I know this is probably a question which merits some more details and nuanced answers, but I'm like 50% of your listenership 97% of the time, so I figured you could spare a few. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, boys. <laughs> uh, everything from letters to you or from you in a spam folder to, yeah, that's funny. That's good. Nice job, Peter. Uh, so let's talk about partnerships. Would you take on a partner in your real estate venture? It's a really interesting question. I've had some successful relationships in that realm. Looking at you, Salsi, hi. Well, and, we, uh, the, the, and some non-successful ones. <laughs> I was going to say. With, Looking with, at you, Salsi, 
Well, I was going to say that because, uh, you know, I'll tell you, and, and OG and I will both tell you that this relationship uh, before it became, I think, the juggernaut that it is today, went, <laughs> went through the valley of death a couple times. We really had growing pains uh, working together, like who's doing what. I would say if we were going to do it again, we probably should have sat down and been more serious about, of course, we didn't think the podcast would be. Exactly. Like, like imagine if, imagine if one of us would have said to the other, you know what we should do? Sit down and really fashion out who's going to do what? Yes. Why? Nobody listens to this crap. Yeah. Yeah. We should have had more of a business plan, but it was just two guys grabbing microphones. And, and frankly, as it became more of a business, that's when the growing pains came for us. So yeah, partnerships are hard. Partnerships are not, not easy. Both of us are in a coaching group with Strategic Coach. You're, I think, end of your first year-ish or so. I've been in coach for, I feel like, 10 or 11 years at this point. But one of the things that they talk about that I've tried to design my planning business around is a concept of unique ability and the things that you're good at. And a lot of times, the focus that we have in our day-to-day lives and what we're taught to do is to, is to focus on the stuff that we're not good at. You're not good at that. You need to go practice that. You're not good at that. You need to get better at that. The groups that we belong to kind of think of this on the other side, which is if you're really good at that, why not just go do that and be really, really good at it? And then the stuff that you're not so great at, find somebody who is really great at it, who loves that part of it, and then bring them in and have them do that. So in the example that uh, Peter was talking about here, hey, he's a little bit conservative and I'm aggressive or he's got this skill set. I would look at it from the perspective of what can you bring to the table? Not money because either you got it or you don't, you know, you start a business and say, I'm going to put in 50 grand. You put in 50 grand. Boom. We're partners. That doesn't do anything. You need to find skill sets that are complementary to one another. Are you really great at finding deals and your partner's really great at outsourcing and running the projects? I think one of the things that makes the relationship that I have with my spouse perfect is that we are completely different in every way. (laughs) Joe, you just spent three weeks with us a month and a half ago. And you knew this. I mean, you've you've known her for a while. We have similar interests, but the approach that we take is completely different. She's much more deliberate and much more spreadsheet oriented and show me the facts of the case. And then I will simmer on it for the next 30 days and then come back to you with a decision. Whereas I'm much more, I thought through it. I know the answer. This is what I want to do. Let's do it. And if I'm wrong, who cares? We'll just change it. And both of those are important to have in a relationship and in business and everything, but they're complementary to one another. Sometimes you can but say, also, but also I think you got to go in knowing that. Oh, well, like for somebody who makes decisions very quickly, like you and I do, you know, if you didn't go into that relationship knowing that the person's that person, you're looking for the balance. I mean, the thing that I look for as I get older, as I'm listening to you talk, I look for people like that who approach things differently than me, who look at yeah. my blind spots, which is not the way early in my career I worked. Early in my career, I wanted to be surrounded by people that were like me. And the people that now that I hire as coaches and I, we hire as employees, I try to specifically hire people that have facets of what they're great at that does not mirror me at all. We do a uh, thing for our employees called Colby, K-O-L-B-E. They have a little personality testing. I think, I don't think they'd like to be, have it be called that way, but anyways, you get these, (laughs) you know, you get these numbers and if you know what Colby is, they mean something to you. And where it's really impactful, just like any number is in comparison to other numbers and there's no good or bad they do a comparison tool where you take the test and then you have someone else take the test and then they do a report that compares them. So I did mine. I already knew it. And I had Mrs. OG do hers. This was years and years ago, you know, and then they compare it. It says, OG does things this way. Mrs. OG does this way, but they didn't know that it was Mrs. OG. So the person, the salesperson calls me and says, Hey, I got to talk to you about this. I said, what's up? And, and she says, I, I, you can't hire this person. I said, Oh, tell me more. And I can't remember the sales consultant's name, but she said, listen, you guys are not going to get along well. You like to do things this way. She likes to do things that way. She likes to do things that way. She likes to do things that way. This is not going to fit. This is completely opposite. And I said, oh, very interesting. She goes, son of a gun, you've already hired her, haven't you? (laughs) And I said, well, you know, in a manner of speaking, uh, we've been married 10 years. This was 10 years ago. 
And there's this long pause. And then she says, how's it working? <laughs> she's convinced there's no way that this works as a business relationship. <laughs> it's, but like you said, to your point, we knew that. We know that going into it. I can't give her, here's all the stuff that I want to do on this house project. Let's hire the contractor tomorrow. She's like, whoa, easy cowboy. I'm going to go through this line by line. I'll talk to you in two weeks. But that's strength because she can find the intricate detail that maybe wasn't correct or whatever. So partnerships work if, in my opinion, they're structured from the perspective of strengths, not like, and I think this is kind of what you just said, it's not an echo chamber. Don't turn it into, hey, we're two cool buds who like hanging out. Hey, we should throw some money together and we could be partners. Yeah, not great. Sadly, there's uh, podcasting friends of ours that have been friends for a long time that are having uh, having a breakup. And I think it's partly because of the fact that they they were just guys that were good friends. And it's sad to see this uh, podcast uh, breaking up. But I think there's the remaining friends. They're just didn't How have that. We be lovers if we can't be friends? <laughs> they didn't have that uh, set up. Now, on the other side, he asked about money with friends, you know, so that show was a tiny show, but I really liked it because as you know, OG, we have lots of headlines that we'd look at that we don't have time for here. But I thought, man, if we could do, if I could do a show live without any editing, it would be really fun to talk about more of these headlines and and have them fun. Well, doing that six days a week, first of all, uh, we already know that OG's bucket was already running over. There was no way that he was going to do another another uh you never asked me uh, uh, yeah but six, nice cover <laughs> yeah yeah there was no way i wasn't going to ask you because no there was taken because there was there was no way that you were going to do that and then the second thing i did it f- by myself for a while but the reason why i looked for a partner in that was because the show was growing but there was no way it was sustainable so because of that i looked for somebody that had on-air experience who knew camera work far better than I did. And the one person who I knew really well was Bobby Rebel, who's been a Reuters TV anchor. And you'll see her often from the NASDAQ. She fills in on that. So you see her on your local TV station. She's done a lot of television. So there it was perfect. But that, that OG was different than your, my relationship where it grew over time. This was from the very beginning me saying, you know what, this podcast is going to go away if I don't find a partner. Let's make sure there's something in it for my partner so they will want to do it. My belief has always been that I'd rather have half of something than the whole of nothing, right? So we can get all technical about what percentage of the companies that we own. So we- we, 51. We we formed a partnership. And I actually, uh, that is our number. It is 51-49. And Bobby said, great. I mean, and when it, so when it comes to everything, we split it. Oh, I was talking about ours. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yes, correct. But the important thing about our agreement, Peter, was that we also have an out clause. Like with Money with Friends, if it's not going well for either Bobby or I, we have specific language in the contract already about how you can get out, how we can exit that. And that's cool because from both of our perspectives, if the partnership isn't working, it's already written in stone exactly what's going to happen and we don't have to go through a painful a painful uh, breakup at that point. I really like that OG about having, hey, if this doesn't work, how do we how do we exit? What's the exit plan? Or like you and I have it, there is no exit plan. <laughs> there is no exit. That's why <laughs> we'll we do this <laughs> until you die. That's why we keep doing this show. I'm like, are we done yet? Oh, geez. Like, no, sit nope. down there. Microphone no exit boy. plan. <laughs> sit down. Microphone man. <laughs> Time to make more donuts, but I'm sick of donuts. Uh, thanks for the question, Peter. I don't think we answered the question. Well, I actually think we did answer the question. He answered it. You, you may not be, like the answer, but yeah, you have to be intentional about it. Uh, have an exit clause and realize that there's going to be bumps in the road. There's no way though. Oh, gee. Maybe put this cap on it. There's no way this doesn't affect his friendship. There's no way that it doesn't. Your friendship will change. I don't know how it's going to change, but if you're partners with somebody, it will change. Thanks for that question, Peter. You have a question for us. 
you don't have to have all the shenanigans like, as mom says, like uh, Peter had. You can just ask a straightforward question. I dare somebody to do that. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. You can do that right from your phone. You can do it if, you're, if your computer has a microphone uh, built in. You don't need any special equipment. Just stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's going to do it for today. Hey, big thanks, by the way, to people who leave reviews of this here show. That helps get the word out about what people are getting into when they listen to the Stacking Benjamin Show. Also, though, even bigger thanks to people that told a friend when an episode sounds good. If you know somebody who's interested in the world of fashion or interested in cool careers, thanks to everyone who told somebody about that. Also, big thanks, by the way, to... This is a review that mom has on the refrigerator. This is five stars from Jambalaya Jeremiah. Do you love me some jambalaya? Mm. Uh, five stars. Yeah, it's pretty good. And Jambalaya Jeremiah writes, I mean, it's still pretty good, but things haven't been the same since Joe stopped saying, so let's move all the time. I can't figure out how to stop it from downloading episodes, so I guess I'll keep listening. <laughs> So awesome. Thanks, Jambalaya Jeremiah. That's very funny. And uh, mom is very proud. She didn't even read it. She just saw five stars and said, hey, that's that's fantastic. Thanks for that. Also, last but not least, if you're somebody that needs better financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients and you can end the year on an up note by seeing how their team can help your team have a bright and shiny 2021 by doing all the planning here in 2020. All right, that's going to do it for today. By the way, that's stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? Sure, Joe. I'm happy to help out in any way I can, but you've all known that for a long time now. First, take a lesson from our headlines. Kodak shares are down 40% after news. Well, that's a prime example of reasons to stay diversified. Second, take a lesson from Lindsay Hartz. Want to break into a field that you're passionate about? Go where the action is and hustle, hustle, and hustle some more. But the big takeaway? When I told Joe's mom I'm basically a saint, she informed me that all saints take a vow of celibacy and a vow of poverty. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that sounds great and all, but just maybe not for me. Special thanks to Lindsay Hartz for joining us. You'll find Lindsay's clothing line at foxblood.com or we'll link to it on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. We talked on Monday, I think, a little about my house choice. And I'm not sure what actually made the after show because you sent it to Steve. So 
Uh, I don't know what we talked about. We talked about so much crap. We talk about so much crap all the time. I don't know what's being recorded and what's not. I was I was choosing between two houses. One that was Have you told the, people that you've that you've decided yet? When did that come out? I haven't told people where we're going. So we're oh. we're in Vermont now. We're going to be in Michigan next week during the break for a few days. We're going to drive our second car. I have we have a, a beater car, the car that I bought for next to nothing. We're going to drive that to... Uh, Is that worth it? Should you just sell the beater car, buy a new beater car in new location? I don't want to... I just... I need to haul stuff down there anyway. The answer is yes, but now you don't want to deal with it. Got it. <laughs> I don't want to deal Do you see that look I just gave you? <laughs> I did. You, the look was, ah, he's right. I should just sell the damn thing and just buy a new one. I got a bunch of but stuff we want to take down to. We have friends that live in the city we're moving to, uh, which we'll talk about another day. But we're going to go from there and we're going to have, because the closing isn't until October, we're going to live in Palm Springs for a month. That's that's where we're headed next. Mm. Palm Springs, California, where I heard it might be hot this time of year. Toasty. Did you see all the crap that I got about the Reno thing on Facebook? (laughs) You did. I should clarify that my experience in Reno is very limited. When I was in the Marine Corps, there's a training base about an hour away in Bridgeport, California, where you do some mountain training. And my experience in Reno was driving from Bridgeport, California to Reno, sitting on the tarmac of the airport, guarding a whole bunch of military weapons. And then when it wasn't my time to guard those weapons, I went into the town and ate dinner and then came back and guarded the weapons again. And then got on an airplane and flew back home. So that was my experience of Reno, for the record. Mostly visited the tarmac of the Reno cargo airport area. But you never drove in from the east? I, I never drove in at all, period. But I do know that when we when we left Reno, we had to... Was it this trip? I feel like it was this trip. We had to like stop in Salt Lake City to get more gas to go the rest of the way. Because there wasn't enough, there's like so much crap that we were taking that they literally couldn't fill the airplane with people, crap, and gas, which, you know, I know a little bit about and had to stop, you know, just merely a half hour later. Weird. My trip to Reno to visit the campus at uh, the University of Nevada when I thought I might uh, go there, they invited me to come and check out the program in the school and be a member of their track and cross country team you know, the big money sports and uh, our flight out of Kalamazoo to Chicago got delayed. And at that time, the people, the gate agent would just change your flight and said, Hey, why don't you board this one instead that goes to Minneapolis and you'll fly to Minneapolis instead of to uh, Chicago and then, and then to San Francisco and to Reno, by the way, you'll get there two hours earlier. Fantastic. We didn't think about the fact that we were meeting the coach at the airport until we got to the Reno airport. So we fly in two hours early. And my mom and I remember we just sat around the airport waiting for, for this guy. And we're, we're sitting there in the waiting area. Why didn't you just text him? <laughs> With We could have taken my mom's car phone. The one you that's the size of your head that gives you got radiation. Got a couple quarters to put it in the little thing. Yeah. Dial the number. Yeah, we didn't. We did not have his. We did not have the dude's phone number. We just yeah. knew we were meeting up at the airport. So we sit there. And of course, things a lot simpler then when you could just be like, "Well, I know. Guess I'll just sit here now." Like there was no solution to that problem other than just sit. Isn't that funny how different things would have been? And I was like, "What do you mean? Oh my God, you're early. Hold on, I gotta." Uh, I know. I can get an Uber. No, don't. I could have taken an Uber, right? (laughs) I and frankly, we could if we knew where he was taking us, we could have got a taxi. You know, we could have done that, but we just decide, okay, we'll just wait. So we sit down and we wait for two hours in the waiting area of the plane, the next plane that's coming in that we're supposedly going to be on. And uh, also, by the way, 1986, somebody coming to pick us up could go all the way to the gate. Yeah, you know, just go sit in the waiting area with us. And so my mom and I are sitting there, she's reading a book, I'm looking around and our plane pulls in the one that we're supposedly on 
the dude that I've been sitting next to for an hour right next to stands up, takes this card that I didn't see before has it in his hand and it says my name on it. Dude's been sitting right next to me forever. Awesome. It was, it was horrible. I'll tell my house story another day. All right. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.